My name is Katrina Irwin, and welcome to House on Fire. When I was a senior in college, I read a book that changed my life. It was about climate change. It wasn't about the impacts to the climate crisis, though. It was about the solutions that exist and are ready to be implemented. I truly believe that the solution to the climate crisis is advocacy and education. The wheels of industry are turning. Methane has a lifetime of maybe a decade in the atmosphere. Net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah. Build back better, blah, blah, blah. In the United States, scientists found that streets in poor areas were up to 3 to 10 degrees Celsius hotter. Of course, we can still turn this around. It is entirely possible. I'm no longer a recent college graduate. I'm now 25 and a program manager with the Clio Institute. I'm a lifelong Miamian, and I am so excited for you all to welcome my new co-host and lifelong Floridian, Glennis Navarrete. Hello, everyone. It's so nice to be here. I am 28 years old with my degree in environmental science. I am currently the schools and youth programs associate program manager for the Clio Institute, and I couldn't be more dedicated to fighting this good fight with you all. Hi, everyone. My name is Katrina Irwin, and welcome back to House on Fire. Today, we are going to be interviewing someone who has been making great strides in Miami since 2001, Matt Hagman, formerly a Miami Herald reporter, a Juris Doctorate candidate, and on top of that, someone who has even tried to make change through running from office. Matt has lived many lives, and most recently, Matt is using his talents to bring the future innovation of business to Miami and make sure that our businesses are centered around climate solutions. Matt is making big waves when it comes to creating lots of new opportunities in Miami for the future of climate tech. And we couldn't be more thrilled to have him on the show. So stay tuned. You don't want to miss this one. So if you want to make sure that you're not missing out on future opportunities for climate here in Miami, I guarantee this is the episode for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to House on Fire. Our guest today is an award-winning journalist with the Miami Herald and Daily Business Review, receiving the Jared Loeb Award, which is the highest honor in business journalism. Today, he leads Opportunity Miami, an initiative focused on shaping Miami's long-term economic future through entrepreneurship as a way to transform communities from the ground up. Prior to Opportunity Miami, he was the Miami director of the Knight Foundation, where he contributed to numerous business initiatives throughout Miami. He is also a founding board member of Endeavor Miami, a trustee at New World Symphony, and advisor to a national nonprofit, Right to Start. It is a pleasure to introduce the executive vice president of Opportunity Miami at the Beacon Council, Matt Hagman, aka Danette's husband, according to his Twitter bio. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt. Thank you. It's great to be here. This is such an honor. Yeah, Thank we're you. super happy to have you today. Like, I know we've had to cancel before because there was a climate catastrophe happening. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, tragically. Yeah. Yep. And then today it is Yom Kippur, which I did not realize about when we were booking this podcast. So I'm... I'm fasting, so I'm going to be a little goofy today. So I hope you can bear with me on you that. You absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll push plow through. through. Yeah, we'll, we'll push get through, through. It We'll get through it together. Bring lots of energy and get yes. through it. So this, but you guys really, thank you for the for the opportunity to to sit and have a conversation. Um, really, these are important times, and uh, and the work you're doing uh, is so important. And so, just really grateful for the chance to to be able to sit and talk. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. I. 
I really appreciate that. And it was really funny because prior to this podcast, I could really see like your journalistic approach, like coming out, how you were helping me with like the script and everything. <laughs> so it, it was like really cool to like kind of like ha like see the past journalist in you going in with that. You know, once a yeah. yes, I mean, I think, you know, once a journalist, always a journalist. And uh, and certainly, you know, as you know, and whatever the different, you know, professional roles I've had, whether it's as a, as a journalist, whether it's as the, you know, Miami program director at Knight Foundation, mm -hmm. whether it was through a, a short happy life as a, as a political candidate mm -hmm. or now, you know, leading Opportunity Miami at Beacon Council. The thing that I've, in all of those different roles that I've loved most of all is, you know, are people's stories. Yeah. You know, and and learning about people's lives and uh, and telling the mm -hmm. stories about people. And so I think once a journalist, always a journalist. Yeah. And you yourself have really lived a full life. Yes. Thank learning about people's lives. Speaking yeah. of yours specifically, it's been colorful, to say the least. And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, um, you know, I, I feel like you have so much insight into giving us youth just like what we can really accomplish in this world and how we can really use our talents and skills and so many different opportunities. So I think that's beautiful. Yeah, well, I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. And you really have lived many lives, like just with your introduction and then like finding out that you're an award-winning journalist, that you are, that you have your JD, that you ran for office. Like you have had such an interesting life and I just want to hear a little bit more about it. Sure, sure. So I, I, so I'm originally from Boston. Okay. And, uh, you know, and I moved down to Miami uh, in December of 20, of, of excuse me, of December of 2001. Okay. Right? So it's it's been a little over 20 years here in Miami. Uh, and, you know, when I got here, uh, coming from Boston, I arrived to work as a, as a reporter at the Daily Business Review, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is a small paper covering legal affairs and business here in Miami, uh, and I didn't know Seoul, and I didn't know what to expect. I'd never been to Miami before, and you know, I thought it would be a year or two, and then off to another city. Instead, mm -hmm. found home. Yeah. And you know, it and it's interesting. I mean, coming for whatever reason, you know, in so many ways, Boston is sort of the antithesis of Miami. Boston mm -hmm. has a a long history. Miami, a short one. Boston has lots of traditions. Miami. You know, really, they're almost, you know, no guardrails, right? It's almost anything goes. Uh, Miami, uh, Boston has old institutions. Mm -hmm. Miami's institutions are very young. And yet, for whatever reason, um, Miami was just very intuitive. And I'm not sure quite why, but it's, it's a, the magic city. Yeah, really right. It just, it. it just immediately felt this connection to a place. And, and in particular, I think it's, you know, one was being in a place where there's so many of us from so many different places mm -hmm. who are together trying to, you know, build a city. And two, the fact that Miami, I think, is special in that it's a place where each one of us um, can play a really direct role in shaping the life of the city. And, I, and a lot of other places... You know, God, I remember talking to a you know a friend in Boston. So how are things going? You know, when I was back at one point, he said, "God, I still feel like I'm waiting my turn." Hmm. You know, and in Miami, there's really no waiting your turn. I mean, you guys illustrate that. Mm -hmm. um, that it's you know Miami is a place really where I think you know among our superpowers are, you know, a, a welcoming spirit uh, and you know uh, an open mind mm -hmm. and um, and a 
you know, and in a lot of ways, a permissionless culture. It's really a place that rewards doing. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it's not about asking permission from others. Again, as you mm-hmm. guys illustrate, it's just getting, getting, getting out there, putting your stake in the ground, and saying, "Look, this is what I'm about." Yeah, taking action. That's what we're all about. That's what we try to like totally. really push that message out there. So thank you for saying that. And you guys are doing it. That's for sure. <laughs> and also, I just want to say it sounds like you're a good Miami transplant. Lately, I've been beefing with a lot of the Miami transplants. <laughs> so I'm very happy to have like a good one <laughs> that is improving our city. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. I mean, it's really what has defined Miami through mm-hmm. the years. I mean, so you grew up here mm-hmm. and I was born and raised in Miami Gardens. I'm actually, so you guys yeah. are from here. But I'm actually a second it. generation Miamian. Even better. Yeah. Love it. Well, you know, so you guys are definitely um, definitely sort of buck the trend mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But, you know, Miami, as we look through our short history, it's been defined by waves of people coming here mm-hmm. from different places, making Miami their own mm-hmm. and putting their stamp on the place, you know, yeah, and absolutely. it's, you know, whether it was, you know, from the Bahamas at Miami's founding to, you know, mm-hmm. my, my mother-in-law, you know, came over, uh, in 1966 mm-hmm. from Cuba going through the freedom yeah. tower waves from Venezuela, from Haiti, from Eastern Europe, you know, and in this latest wave, you know, San Francisco, <laughs> and, you know, yeah, that, that, that's the new so. wave that the current Miamians are like, <laughs> you know, but I think, but my thought is, is that, you know, one of the really wonderful things about Miami is our welcoming spirit mm-hmm. and, you know, and that, and having an open mind. Mm-hmm. And so as, as folks come here that even bring different perspectives and different points of view, let's embrace it. Mm-hmm. You oh, know? Yes. I mean, of course we speak our mind, which I think <laughs> is, you know, which we should all do. But, you know, I think what's made Miami so special is, is that we have so many people from so many different places who bring so many life experiences and mm-hmm. points of view. And, you know, the more we, the, the, the more that we can continue to be that place, I think the better we'll be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just want to throw in there because of this mixing pot that we have, we have amazing food. I'm just going to put that out there for anyone right? listening that has never been to Miami, maybe, you know, we have some of the best food out here. You can find everything at all times. <laughs> yeah, it's the truth. No, it is the truth. The uh, And that, you know, it's so amazing. Think about how our cities evolved. I know for me, I just have mm-hmm. just thinking about like these last, um, you know, 20 years since getting here. But think about the food scene, the art and cultural life of our community, how neighborhoods, you know, have evolved. It's all, you know, on, on the one hand, um, Miami is is such an example of a place of incredible possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about all that's happened or all the work, you know, back when I was at night in a, a night foundation and it was with a, a, a former colleague named Ben Wurz and we, you know, launched, you know, this initiative in 2012 with the then sort of far-fetched idea of building a startup and tech community in Miami. And that's where mm-hmm. things like, you know, funding efforts from the Lab Miami and Emerge Americas mm-hmm. and bringing Endeavor here and, um, you know, and uh, uh, the Idea Center at Miami Dade College and Miami Angels and on and on and on. You know, all of those things to be able to see the change that can happen in such a short time. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it's we are a place also that has, you know, that has these enormous challenges, you know, as you think about, you know, the wide income inequality that mm-hmm. our community faces. I mean, in any top five list of metropolitan areas in the country, we're on that list. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And of course, for this conversation, <laughs> as we're sort of on the front lines, as we think about climate change and particularly sea level rise. Yeah, we definitely are. And like here in Miami, we really are tasked with so many issues. We're seeing 
growing climate gentrification happening in yeah. Miami. And then on top of all the injustice happening in Miami, we're also, like you said, we really are on the front lines for the climate crisis. Yes. And now with all these amazing different career opportunities that you've had in your life, would you say you've always been centered around climate when it comes to the new activities you've been participating in? Censored around climate? Centered. Centered around climate. Got it. Got it. Or do you uh, have like a climate focus when you jump into these opportunities, you know, because as we know, the climate crisis is something that is here, you know, 100 percent. And we really need to start paying attention and advocating for that so we can move forward. And we can't do that without strong leaders in positions to make that change. So since you are one of those strong leaders that well, we look up to. That. Yes, of course. You know, we want to know, do you focus on climate being you know this major issue in almost everything that you've gone into whether that be uh, journalism whether that be climate tech what do you think so yes um but here's how i would frame it is is that i think that you know throughout my life um you know growing up in boston actually grew up in a town next to boston in uh, cambridge mass mm -hmm. you know it was um environmentalism um was something that was really top of mind and something that was always very very important to me um, but it's in this most recent chapter of my professional life where I would say that professionally it's really become front and center mm -hmm. because it was, you know, about a year ago, year and a half ago when I joined Beacon Council to lead this initiative that was then called One Community, One Goal. Mm -hmm. And it's an initiative that's focused all on where we need to go next from an economic perspective. So we think about the next 5, 10, 20 years. So we think about the Miami of 2040. Right. When the mm -hmm. young child coming up today, what's the Miami they're going to find mm -hmm. from an economic perspective? And so did a deep dive and, you know, and said, you know what? I think it's time for a new name, new focus, new strategy. And the new name is Opportunity Miami, because mm -hmm. in so many ways, I really do believe our greatest challenges and climate change and sea level is one of them also really presents our biggest opportunities. But then in terms of what to focus on from an economic perspective, what are those things that we think about? job creation and expanding opportunity and um, and economic development and all of that, right? Uh, making a dent in what is our wide income gap and our mm -hmm. wide income and opportunity gap, you know, in our, in our community centered on three things, right? One is we need to be a place that continues to drive entrepreneurship and innovation in a big way. We want to be a place of starters, mm -hmm. which we are, but we want that to continue because that's where you know, the vast amount of jobs come from, right? Right, And it's a real, also a real asset for, for, for who we are already. We are a community of starters mm -hmm. in a big way. Um, number two, talent and inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. We need to be, a, the places that win, the cities that win going forward in the next 10 to 20 years are gonna be the places that provide ways in which people can build new skills affordably, quickly, and ways that align with their own lives, all of that. But the third thing, and this really goes to, to your question, that I really do think that, um, that sustainability and resilience is going to be as that is going to be one of, if not, I would argue, the key driver from an economic perspective of our community and our world going forward in the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, over the next 20 to 25 years, we're on a journey. Mm -hmm. Right. We're transitioning to a net zero economy. Mm -hmm. That is an economy that goal. puts, you know, no more uh, climate warming gases into the air mm -hmm. than we're taking out. Right. And it does present an existential challenge. This is a must do. But with Opportunity Miami, what we're also talking about, that this actually presents the opportunity of our lifetime. 
right? Because it is this transition that will result in more new jobs, more mm -hmm. new companies, more new industries, right? I mean, because you think about every part of our economy, how we get around, how we produce food, how we manufacture it's also, things. Yeah, that, that's really that true. That all has to, sh to shift. Yeah, because everything that you just said is the reason we're being confronted with this crisis right now. Yeah. So just kind of to go back to what you said, there is opportunity in crisis. 100%. And so now with Opportunity Miami, as we think about our future, mm -hmm. it's really around climate. Mm-hmm. That will that and and specifically the transition to a net zero economy mm -hmm. that is going to propel our economy, create jobs, expand opportunity for a generation or more. Mm -hmm. So let's own it, right? Yeah, let's let's be that place where those carbon, you know, where those uh, zero carbon companies of the future are built, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And every whether it's how we produce food, whether it's you know how we how we get around, whether it's how we cool and heat our homes. And by the way. We've got a really interesting foundation to build from right now. Mm -hmm. You know, the the second biggest car charging network, electric car charging network company in the country is on Miami Beach. Mm -hmm. Blink, right? I didn't know that. And so yeah, as you think either. about, you know, you think about that net zero future, think that is a future where we're no longer powering cars with fossil fuels, mm -hmm. right? It's going to be, you know, where we're, we're, we're charging our cars. Well, let's own that future. And we actually have a company that's trying to lead in that or... You know, as we we have the the largest indoor aquaculture facility in the world, about twenty minutes south of us. Mm -hmm. You know, in Homestead, um, Atlantic Sapphire, that is coming up. That wants to make Miami the biggest producer of salmon in North America. Oh my gosh! Right, <laughs> crazy, right? And and they think that they can create a net zero supply chain. Ultimately, mm -hmm. that's very right? very cool. I I really do think that like. The future to solving this crisis is through creating smart cities. Yes. And you were recently a guest speaker for the Smart City USA Expo, where you discussed the future of tech in Miami and how we can become a more equitable and sustainable city. So your climate focus has clearly influenced a lot of the work you've done. And we know that you're really pushing for the future of climate tech. So I just have to ask, what is your long-term plan for creating jobs? And are you looking at it through a justice lens? For sure. I mean, I think, look, I mean, this, as we think about talent and inclusion, as we think about mm -hmm. social justice, I think go back again to this whole idea about the opportunity in front of us, right? If we can get this right, mm -hmm. right? If we can make this transition to a net zero economy and actually have it as an economic driver, and then and then if we can do this in a way in which that this is actually expanding opportunity across our community, right? That will be something that no city has done. But furthermore, as we think about the opportunity in front of us is to create a uniquely talented, diverse workforce, mm -hmm. right? And that's something that, again, now with the initiative that I'm working, we're looking at things through an economic lens, mm -hmm. right? But if we can make good on that, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we're in a place, 54% of our population of Miami-Dade County was born outside the U.S., mm -hmm. right? 87% is black or Hispanic, right? We are uniquely diverse. And if we can actually make good on, on providing ways in which people can build skills and have jobs and drive upward mobility, we can, do, we can create a workforce 
that is unlike anything in North America, and I would argue potentially differentiated from most regional workforces globally. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what's in front of us. So to your question around social justice, it has to be built into mm -hmm. it because it's actually, as we think about our own economic self-interest, that it's the places that continue to have these big divides. Those are the places that struggle. Mm -hmm. And that it's incumbent on us to create ways in which that people can gain new skills over and over again, because that's the world that we're in. Yeah. Forward, right. I mean, yes. this is we're going to have each one of us are going to have multiple careers going forward. And we need to provide ways in which mm -hmm. people can gain. The skills so what are that. some ways that like you're brainstorming right now to incorporate uh, those on the front lines? Sure. So. The biggest thing right now, mm -hmm. though, is access. Yeah. Right? We need to create ways that people can gain skills quickly and affordably. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing a couple different ways around that. One is through traditional education. Mm -hmm. Right? For example, Miami-Dade College right now has a program where in a matter of months, someone can become a technician uh, in a, a for Tesla in terms mm -hmm. of being a technician for being able to service electric cars and being in, an, in a role where it's actually it's driving upward mobility, right? Mm -hmm. That stuff needs to continue. We need to find more and more ways to do that. I can, or examples around, for example, software development, coding, mm -hmm. and people in a short period of time, a matter of months, have a professional skill that they can then apply and then off they go. Yeah, I, I think software and coding and just like computer tech is so important. Huge. And it's something that could be like taught so easily to people. Like I know people that like didn't go to school for that. And now they have like great careers in it. And there's even someone where we work at like our, our office that he has this whole like program set up where he is getting interns that are just interested in computer science and he pays them to learn how to do it. I love it. And just like models like that, like what we're just talking about right now, like totally. that's how you get people involved. Like don't put them into more debt, pay them to teach God, them. No. Yeah. No, that's why <laughs> earlier it's like ways that people, you know, can gain new skills quickly, affordably. Yes, right? exactly. Is, you know, and the other thing though, I think is and just what you're talking about mm -hmm. is that as we think about expanding opportunity, mm -hmm. A driving social mobility, actually making a dent in what is our the the wide income inequality, mm -hmm. the wide op, you know opportunity gap that we have in our community. It's also through non-traditional education, yeah, right? Certificate programs, mm -hmm. boot camps, you know, pro internships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people forget a lot about apprenticeships. That. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's going to be driving our future. And people, just like the example you just said, of someone on on his or her own saying, mm -hmm. look, I'm going to do this. I'm going to create these spots, these opportunities where folks who want to, to learn to code, for example, can put that into practice. Mm -hmm. And speaking of creating new opportunities, you know, we hit big recently with the IRA. Uh, you know, it's the largest investment in addressing climate change, and it's going to allow us to build clean a clean energy um, uh, economy. Yep. And wow, we're getting this in motion. I want to know what your thoughts on how Miami can utilize this funding to create more climate solutions. Uh, do you have anything in mind for how you can tap into any of those funds to kind of create those opportunities you're kind of speaking of? Well, let's start with our built environment, right? I mean, so the, you know, as we think about, you know, contributors right now to, to uh, climate warming emissions, we start with how we get around, but then number two, so how we get around, Cars, buses, mm -hmm. all of that, right? Number two is our built environment, right? Buildings, all of that. You know, I was just at, uh, and we're going to have something coming out with Opportunity Miami on this uh, company called Costex, mm -hmm. um, which is a Caterpillar uh, 
uh, uh, parts reseller company okay. that is north of Miami International Airport. And they built a giant new facility, their offices, and this giant, giant warehouse. You guys have got to go see it. Okay. Sounds very cool. And so <laughs> what did they put on the roof? Solar panels. That's great. Not just a few. A lot of solar mm -hmm. panels. A big push, yeah. A big push. And what they actually said to me, they said it was the second biggest solar roof in Miami-Dade County. Of course, I asked, what's the first? Yeah, what's and the first? they said it's Ikea, which now I want to go visit Ikea. Love me, and, Ikea. Right? <laughs> Another reason to go. And they said nine, on a daily basis, 90 to 100% of the energy in this giant office and this huge, huge warehouse, all through solar. Right. You know, I'm not surprised that IKEA has the solar panels because I really feel like Nordic countries have really been like, leading it. the way to like I was just in Iceland and Iceland is 100 percent renewable energy that right. And so here's so next time you guys, um, you know, when you're coming back from your yeah. next trip, your next <laughs> trip off to cool places like Iceland, if you're coming in, flying in from the West, you know, you come in over the Everglades and and. You know, as you're coming over, you know, all these buildings like in Doral and stuff, I know a thought I always have is I'm looking down at all of these flat roofs. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing on them. I know. We're not utilizing the power that we have, the free energy that we're given mm -hmm. daily here in the sunshine state. We're hundred <laughs> percent. And so and my great hope is is that, you know, we all will be on a, a flight flying in to MIA, Seattle, yeah. you know, 10 years from now, and hopefully the IRA would help the, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act mm -hmm. would help, will help us do this. And we look down and we see solar panels covering every roof. Because mm -hmm. right now, what we see, I need to go visit Ikea, but I know Costex, <laughs> I saw with my own eyes, we were there, it's Costex just north of the airport, it is covered with solar panels. Yeah, we got to go right? check that out. Yeah. And so you got to go check that out. Mm -hmm. And But the dream is using this moment that we're in right now as a real spark where that reality that you know we'll see in the not-too-distant future where we see all of our buildings yeah. powered by renewables. But the thing is, like, it's possible for that to happen. Like, the technology exists right it's now. Here. And that's actually the reason that I actually got into the climate fight. I read a book called Climate of Hope. I don't know if you've read it before. I haven't, but yeah. I will. Yeah, it's by um, it's by Michael Bloomberg and Carl Pope. The, the story behind it is really funny. I read it for an emergency management class, and I just chose the book because I knew who Michael Bloomberg was. I had, like, no interest in climate change whatsoever. So I read Wait, the Wait, you didn't? Yeah, I didn't. I had no interest. Like, I was just in an emergency management class in college, and I had to read the book for an assignment, and I chose it. So, but this is I like, want to hear about your yeah. climate journey. <laughs> so, so, so this yeah. is great. So this is my story. So yeah. we're getting into it. So I'm reading this book, and we're talking, and it talks about the impacts of climate and everything. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so scary. And then it goes into the solutions and all of the doable solutions that exist. And I'm like, wait, so... We're in a climate crisis, but the solutions exist and we're not doing anything about it. Like just how you were talking about, like we could use solar roofs, like all these like different innovative ways and we weren't doing anything about it. It got me so mad. And then I just like totally changed all of my career paths and I just dedicated it to making sure that the solutions were being advocated for. I and love more than that just story. the solutions, yeah, that's amazing, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Like the solutions are there, like you said. Like for me, it was more just about equity. Like yes. I feel like a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yes, we're here in Miami. We're a Miami-based, you know, uh, podcast. But I'm Nicaraguan. I lived in Nicaragua for a couple of years, mm -hmm. and you go outside, you're inside. It's the same temperature, and it is 
hot. It is getting mm-hmm. hotter and hotter for everybody around the world. Like us as Americans, we're very fortunate to have our AC units. Um, some, some, because not everybody has that as well. Not everyone. Yeah. No. But, you know, you start really thinking about, man, we really have the opportunity to create, not even create, just implement the the solutions that are already there and we're not doing it and it's not mm-hmm. fair to everyone else who really really has to go and work harder for their next meal for their families you know so that was my yeah. biggest thing when it came down to it because like yeah great we have the solutions but we got to give that education to others as well we got to make sure that mm-hmm. they're making better informed decisions because it's there they just mm-hmm. need the information 100 percent 100%. And I think that's one of our big challenges right now. I mean, as you said, in so many ways, the technology is there. I mean, to go back to the Costex example, you know, we're talking this this dream of having, you know, flat roofs across West Dade covered with solar panels. Well, we know it can be done because we have an, a, an example right mm-hmm. now in front of us. You know, sure, are there some areas where there needs more work? I mean, think about like... Uh, you know, battery power, for example, or or carbon capture technology mm-hmm. is something there's a lot that, you know, all of that's, but there's other other areas, it's right here, right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how can we work to, to and utilize we, it? I think like the best way to do that is also focus more on accessibility. I feel like there's all these like justice impacts that are preventing people from getting solar panels on their house. For example, yes, you do get the money back, but you have to do that big down payment. You can't be a renter. If you have to, if you want solar panels. So I think like really changing the system that we currently have. And Get it together, it, America. Yeah. Get it together. <laughs> you know, another, um, uh, I, I, and again, you know, mm-hmm. with Opportunity Miami, this is looking at things through a business standpoint. Yeah. So that's why I keep going back to yeah. sort of business examples. You know, there's a company right down the street from us where we are right now called Watsco mm-hmm. in Coconut Grove. And they are uh, an air conditioning uh, distributor. In fact, the biggest air conditioning distributor in the in North America, right? And what they, they have thrown themselves into transitioning to a net zero economy and reducing wow. climate. That's and great and because air conditioning has really with HFCs and everything that's been the messy. Num- yes. <laughs> and the numbers are crazy. Like it's, you know, as I understand it, it's about a half of the energy going into your home goes to cooling it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, and right now there's just countless inefficient, you know, outdated air conditioning yeah, units out there. Oh my God. The and older buildings too. with oh no God. insulation. It's like, exactly. this energy bill, this is crazy. The more that we can, you know, the more that we can expedite this shift, which again goes back to the Inflation Reduction Act, mm-hmm. you know, the more that we can make a, a dent faster mm-hmm. in this issue. Um, and so, you know, so, but this is in front of us. In fact, there was interesting, there was a, a, a tweet from a, you know, the the transition to a net zero economy is something that we're now seeing a lot of investment going into, mm-hmm. right? And so there is this, a, a an investor in London of all places who's gone all in on climate tech. He's like, I'm going to invest in the companies that are building that net zero future. And and he puts out a, uh, a tweet thread saying, there's a company in Miami that can do more to address climate change than any other. I'm thinking, what in the world? <laughs> And he said, it's Watsco. This wow. And he Shout said, out to Watsco. Yeah. And he <laughs> said that they had done, I think I'm quoting this correctly, mm-hmm. that they had done more in the past two years to mitigate the emission of CO2 than Tesla. Wow. Right here. And wow. So yeah, another wow. one for your list. Yeah. No. So you are dropping, you putting us on game right now. <laughs> stuff. But you know, and by the way, 
the, uh, another thing I, I just would love to see come to Miami mm-hmm. um, is an organization called Block Power. And so because they are right at the nexus of transitioning to a net zero future mm-hmm. and driving social mobility. Wow. And leaning into social justice because they're doing something where they said we're, we're trying – they're decarbonizing buildings, mm-hmm. right, electrifying buildings. But they also have launched a whole job training program mm-hmm. around folks who, you know, you don't need a degree or anything, mm-hmm. but through a fairly condensed period of job training can have a well-paying job retrofitting buildings mm-hmm. for a net zero future. Wow. And that, that just really shows like how important it is for businesses to focus on climate and everything, like which 100%. is exactly what you're doing. So we're talking about incredible. This is so much fun, you guys. <laughs> this is so yeah, great. it Thank is. You. Yeah. Another thing, like I promise, I'm not sponsored by the book Climate of Hope, but like part of like <laughs> I know the, I need to write yeah, this part, down. Part of like the like the synopsis for the book, it's like how cities and businesses can change the future because like it really is like small, but like kind of going to cities. I really believe that people need to focus more on local advocacy. People focus yes. a lot on what's going on at a wider level, but where we really can make a difference is locally. Preach so this. since I moved back to Miami, I've been showing up at Miami City Hall, Miami-Dade County, awesome. and kind of the my first stint back at Miami-Dade like politics was last year when I went to the budget hearing and they were going to defund the Office of Resilience. I was really pissed about it and I actually wrote in my speech because at the same time that they were defunding it, they were creating Miami Bitcoin. And I just thought that was so ironic that you're defunding something that is going to protect us from climate change and you're going to be funding something that's going to further worsen it. It ended up working out, um, you know, we were able to get more funding from the office, but this is kind of where I'm going with this story. Mm-hmm. So I saw that you're on a Bitcoin advisory council. So, <laughs> so I just like want to hear a little bit more about like your reasoning behind that, because from a climate standpoint, I personally really don't like Bitcoin. So sure. I just want to hear more. Totally. Yeah. Totally, totally. So just small point. So I actually, um, when in this case, the county was considering doing uh, a putting together an advisory task force. I said I uh, encouraged them to do it. Mm-hmm. So I don't sit on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay. I was just a voice saying do it. And here's why. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I do think that when we see technologies coming along like cryptocurrency mm-hmm. or more broadly blockchain, mm-hmm. I think that there is the the likelihood that things like this are going to be part of our lives going forward, I think is a mm-hmm. strong one, right? So I think we need to lean in to trying to have sort of an understanding of the ways that this can apply to our lives in good ways. Mm-hmm. And then also decide, you know, whether they're, you know, some not so good ways. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one of the things talked a lot about is the energy usage around Bitcoin mining, mm-hmm. right? And so, but my thought is, is, Let's lean into understanding this better mm-hmm. because it is such a new technology that mm-hmm. where this goes, I don't know if anyone really knows. Mm-hmm. You know, I was listening to a podcast just the other day with the person who founded Ethereum, which is one of the, the cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he knows, maybe he does, but I, I think it's something that it is with emerging technologies. Mm-hmm. My thought is to to have an open mind, voice, and I mm-hmm. really credit you with always, you know, raising the alarm around mm-hmm. energy usage, particularly around Bitcoin mining. Mm-hmm. Um, but my thought is, as a community, 
if we're going to put together advisory councils, whether it's the county or the city or elsewhere, around exploring these new technologies, let's do that. And that will help us make better decisions, hopefully. Yeah, I agree with that. And like one thing that I also heard with Bitcoin is like there are ways to do it in like a green way that it ends up not being it's more sustainable. So I guess like what I'm like also if anyone that is a Bitcoin miner is listening to this, (laughs) that just if Bitcoin's not going away, just to make sure that we're doing in the most sustainable way possible, because right now it's just consuming so much energy. And this really goes back to what we're talking about businesses like businesses really can change the future. So if we're going to be in the Bitcoin business and there's nothing we could do about it, please let's make it sustainable. 100 percent. And, you know, in so many ways, things we think about, you know, the environment and sustainability, it feels like there's sort of, feels like there's sort of like three buckets, mm-hmm. right? One is all around the activism, mm-hmm. right? The civic activism, the, you know, being sure that this is always top of mind mm-hmm. is so much of what you're doing. You know, number two is around policy, you know, and that's being sure that, you know, as a community, as a country, you know, as a world, that, you know, we're putting forth good policies and, mm-hmm. you know, how we operate. And then three is really around innovation, mm-hmm. right? And we need to hit that one too. I would argue, and certainly in talking to business leaders, you know, that that if actually a business doesn't account for climate, actually, and doesn't actually see climate as something that's going to drive his or her business, that that actually is going to prove to be a huge mistake, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that, you know, in fact, I remember, you know, it was about 10 years ago, um, there was a, a venture capitalist, this person out in California named Mark Andreessen, who has this venture firm called Andreessen Horowitz. And he wrote a, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. And, it, and, the, and the title is Software is Eating the World, mm-hmm. right? And his thesis was that technology is going to be part of every corner of our economy, whether we like it or not, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, as one very simple example, you know, the taxi driver who's thinking, you know, he, you know, him or her is immune from technology. Of course, we learned that they weren't mm-hmm. and that a new idea came up, you know, that was software related that actually upended that whole industry. You mm-hmm. know, thinking of Lyft and, yeah, yeah. and all that stuff, you know, I'm going... You could see it in my in my eyes. I'm like, I'm thinking of Lyft right now. <laughs> right, exactly. So I think you could write that same story today mm-hmm. and then place replaced software with climate. Mm-hmm. And that climate is the thing that's going to be that is going to ch- change every part of our economy as we think about the next 20, 30 years. Think mm-hmm. it will be the biggest trend from a business standpoint in each one of our lives. Mm-hmm. So, and so businesses really have to lean into that. Yeah, for sure. From what I take with all of this, just this is the first time you and I officially meet. Yeah. And I can really just say, just Matt is here to create opportunities in Miami. And I love <laughs> that. You. And you know, Opportunity I, Miami. Opportunity go. Miami. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're really here for the people. You really have a vision for what's to come. And I love that passion behind it. So I want to know for all of our youth listeners, um, you know, we have so many careers, so many opportunities they can fall into. What majors, what career paths should they take when pushing climate tech? Oh, all right. So my just off the top of your head. Yeah, your no. <laughs> so my actual thought is to follow your passion and wherever it can take you. Because I really I do think that climate tech is something that's gonna require all of us and require all of us from 
different backgrounds and different learning experience and different life experiences. So I don't think climate tech is just the domain of, you know, of the, you know, of the scientist or, um, or someone who are the software developer. I think climate tech is, you know, the person who is a, you know, is a theater major. I think climate tech is the domain of someone who is a graphic artist. I think climate tech is the domain of someone who majors in literature, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think what I, as we move forward, I think that it's all parts of life experiences. It's not just sort of the sciences, it's the humanities mm -hmm. that are mm -hmm. going to play a, such a role in shaping this. So my thought is for someone who cares about climate, I don't think it necessarily means that you have to to go off and get a degree in XYZ I science. Right. Mm -hmm. I th and I think that going forward, as we talk about climate, as we talk about transitioning to a net zero economy, as we talk about sustainability, there are going to be so many different ways that we relate and talk mm -hmm. about that, that I think it requires everyone. And so for folks coming up, deciding to what to major in, if you want to be a theater major, do it. And that doesn't mean that you can't be a leader, you know, and what is, you know, what will be, what I think without a doubt will be, and it is right now and will be sort of the biggest issue of our entire lives. Yeah. I also like agree with like the theater major like part that you said, because I've noticed that a lot of like the really great activists that I've met have had some sort of theater background. Totally. And I really think it's because like the theater community is so inclusive and it's that's your first like stint at justice issues. Like you have your friends that have not felt comfortable coming out yet and they feel comfortable in the theater community. And like the more you like go into it, you really just like realize how important it is to advocate for issues that are going to be impacting other people. Totally. And you're a good example at that. Mm -hmm. All Thank the career you. paths that you've taken yeah. and look at where you're at now. I was a history major, right? Oh, okay. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, and, and you know, my parents always encouraged me. They were actually encouraging me to be an arts major, and I mm -hmm. decided to do history. But, you know, I really do think that, you know, while on the one hand there is a push for, you know, the, um, to have specific professionally oriented degrees and learning, I'm of at least of the view that I think that, you know, the wider the set of learnings, the better, you mm -hmm. know, and going forward too, the skills that we're going to need and we need right now are, you know, critical thinking, being able to, you know, to be empathetic and relating well to other people, um, telling stories well, and of course being resilient, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, yeah. being able to always bounce back Mm -hmm. continue pushing forward all that. I mean it feels like those are the sort of the real superpowers that we all need to really to work on I, and also being really clear mm -hmm. you know at you know in whatever we're doing how we're going about our work yeah I agree so let me just say that this has just been such a pleasure getting oh, to guys, know you and learn more so we always asks our ask our guests at the end of each episode if you had a magic wand and you could solve climate change with that magic wand what would you do Besi mm. Besides, I feel like I just contradicted myself because it's like, you know, if you could solve climate change, then that's what you're going to wish for. That's the magic for. wand, right? Yeah, there but if you, that's like, my answer. Okay, yeah. But if you could, you know, something implementing something, what would it be? God, there are so many. Um, 
Well, let's keep it specific and real. Let's keep it very tangible for this mm -hmm. one, right? And I think that what I, with a, here's what, if I could wave, wave a magic wand, and what I ask is that, so let's, as we go forward with our lives, let's um, hope that, you know, some afternoon as we're flying in to MIA, coming from the, you know, from the West over the Everglades, uh, and we look down and we see that modern Miami, mm. where we see all of these, you know, these flat roofs um, covered with solar panels that are powering our future. Glistening as you're watching Glistening, them. <laughs> right? No, I, I really like that. And I just think like right now, like as you know, like Glennis and I really do a lot of work with advocacy and like the work that you're doing with business. I think together we can make that happen. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's do it. Let's do it. Yes. Here at the Clio Institute, we believe that the best way to get people into the climate movement is through education. And one of the best ways to do that is by sharing House on Fire with your friends and family. So don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And House on Fire can be found on all channels where podcasts are available. Mm -hmm.